0: They had like an arcade room. And my brother and I were in there playing foosball. And, uh, and, and we had like blocked a little, like, you know, the holes. So like, you know, we wouldn't have to keep paying money. I know it was cheap anyways. And so we're playing the game and uh, we got done playing the game. So we pulled the things out and I was like, all right, next point wins. And I've been kicking his butt like all night. And so we start playing and he knocks it in and he scores and he wins. He goes, yeah, blah. And he laughs at me and I take off running after him and he runs for his life. And, uh, and he's running and, and he hits the button on the elevator. And as he does, I like, like, full on football, just jack him. And he goes flying through the air and goes through the second story window of the hotel, catches himself like this. I grab his shirt, pull him back into the window. His back's all cut up, like bleeding and all this kind of stuff. And we're like, oh no, what are we going to tell dad? And uh, we're freaking out. Listen, when in my house growing up, uh, we, uh, we, I threw my brother's head through the wall, not one, not two, but three times. When we were in high school, like we fought all the time. In fact, we had this, this like two or three holes in the hallway, like leading down to our bedrooms, two or three hole, uh holes in the hallway, because we would fight a lot in the hallway for some reason. And uh, and my dad quit fixing the holes for like two or three years of our life because he would fix the holes and we would knock new holes in it. So we were a nightmare as kids growing up, and uh, and that's just kind of kind of how it was. And so we're always at each other. And the truth is, because we were so competitive with each other, anytime that one of us got an advantage over the other like we exploited it like it was the best thing in the world and I'll never forget I was probably like seven eight years old and we went to our first theme park together it was called carowinds it's in North Carolina Right outside of Charlotte. And so, and so we, we head to this theme park. We're with our family. We're kind of going around. And we see this roller coaster that actually does like one of those upside down things. That's it. That's the actual roller coaster. It's called the Cyclone at Carowinds. And it, this one does like two little loop-de-loops. And then it does a little corkscrew thing. And we see this roller coaster. And we are like, do we have to do that? Like we wanted to have this experience. We'd never been on a roller coaster upside down before. So we wait in this like forever line. If you've ever been to Six Flags, you know what I'm talking about. We wait in this forever line and we finally get there to ride on this roller coaster. And to my joy, my brother was not tall enough. You know what I'm talking about? The little line that they have. No, that's not my brother, but that's a, that's a little girl. <laughs> yeah, that's my brother. He's a little girl. And, uh, anyways, and so he wasn't tall enough to get on the ride. And, and so he starts crying and I'm like laughing, like it's the best day of my life up to this point, you know, and I'm so excited that my brother can't go. And, and so we get on the ride. He didn't measure up. He was not tall enough. It's all good, bro. Maybe next year. And so we get on the roller coaster and, and we start going. And, and now at the end of the day, and this, I think God in his humor, he, He got me back. Because on the ride of the roller coaster, you know those little loops you just saw a second ago? On the second loop, you know that little shoulder thing that comes down? My shoulder thing comes up. (laughs) And I upside down start to fall out and my dad, like ninja man, goes... And like holds me in and we go through that corkscrew thing and I'm like flying out my death on me in So by the time the roller coaster pulls back into the little docking area, I'm crying and my brother's over there going blah at me and I'm like you little punk and uh And uh, so listen, I don't know if you've ever felt like this before like my brother did I don't know if you've ever felt like you you don't measure up Maybe 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 it's with your with your parents. Maybe it's with a coach Maybe it's with your performance in school. I don't know if you've ever had that experience before where you feel like you don't measure up. Or, or maybe it's even in your faith. Like I'll never forget, I've been a Christian now. I've given my life to Jesus 17 years ago. So 17 years, I was, a, I was living for myself and, and chasing after the world. And for 17 years, I'm 34 years old, I've been a Christian. And what I found is, is that early on in my life, um, I, just, uh, I just had this, um, this, this feeling that I never measured up. That, that, that it didn't matter what I did. I just felt like, like God was just out there and I was here and, and and God was so distant and I couldn't figure out like why, why I couldn't measure up. And, and I guess I just kind of had this, this idea that, that if I didn't follow all these rules and regulations and requirements that God had laid out, then, then, then I just, I just couldn't measure up. I don't know if you've ever felt that way before in your faith. Maybe you're like, man, I want to follow Jesus. Like I want to grow. Like I want to be a part of this thing. But you know what? I just feel like I fall short all the time. And that's where I was at. And I was talking with one of my mentors and he was just kind of, you know, grilling me with some questions. And I was telling him how I was feeling. And what we discovered was is that I had bought into this lie way before I'd ever become a Christian. And this was the lie. I believed that the Bible was a a book of a bunch of rules and regulations, and that if I followed those, then God loved me, but if I didn't follow them, then God did not love me. This, This false idea that I had about the Bible even before I was a Christian, that I bought into somewhere along the way, that once I gave my life to Christ, I carried that into my relationship with God, and this began to hold me hostage again as a Christian. This idea. And so my mentor began to explain to me like, hey, Derek, listen, you got to understand that the Bible is not a list of rules and regulations to hold you down. The Bible is a book of life. It's a book of life. And in there, there there's some boundaries that are given so that you can have a full life, so that you can live life to the full because that's what God wants for us. That's what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to live life to the full. But I'd bought into this lie that the Bible was just a bunch of rules and regulations and God was just there really to prevent me from having fun. I don't know if you ever felt that way before. In fact, I hear that question all the time from students. Did God just, just give us all these rules so that, so that we wouldn't have fun? It feels like God's trying to take away my fun here. That's what it feels like when I hear a message or I hear about the Bible. And I'd bought into this lie and he began to show me and, and I needed this change of perspective that God actually didn't give the Bible for us to take away our fun, but he gave it to us so that we could truly live, so that we could truly have that full life that God has for us. Now, when you think of rules, when you think of regulations, when you think about s- rules in the Bible, the first thing that actually comes to my mind is the Ten Commandments. Maybe it comes to your mind as well, is the Ten Commandments. And when we think of the Ten Commandments, we think, oh, there are all these thou shalt nots. Oh, here goes God again, taking away our fun. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But what's interesting about the Ten Commandments that are given to us in Exodus chapter 20 is that God, before he gives the ten thou shalt nots, in, verse, in chapter 19 of Exodus, the chapter before, he gives the reason why he gives the Ten Commandments first. And so oftentimes when we think of the Ten Commandments, all we do is think of the rules, but we don't really understand the reason. And when you understand the reason, it begins to put in perspective why God gave us the rules. And so I want to read to you what it says in in, uh, Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. Check this out. This is so good. So it says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. So Moses is talking to God and God is giving Moses some direction on this. God is saying, before I give you these laws, before I give you all this kind of stuff, I want you to say this to the people. This is the first thing I want you to tell them. Then he goes on he says this. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Let me pause there for a second. The Israelites we were in Egypt in slavery for 430 years. Generation after generation after generation after generation had passed and passed and passed, and all they knew was a life of slavery, a life of bondage. And the only person, the only person uh, who, and, and the only thing that governed their life was what the Egyptian master that they had allowed them to do. They they didn't know what it was like to be free. They didn't know what it was like to live outside of the bondage of slavery. And God is saying here, listen, I want you to go tell the people to remember that I am the one who set them free. Before you give them the law, remind them that I set them free because this is what happens in our thinking. When you go and give them the law, they may push back to it. They don't like rules. They just came out of slavery out from under rules. When you begin to tell them the Ten Commandments and you begin to give them rules, they're going to think, oh, God brought us out and now he's putting us back under his slavery. He said, but I want you to remind them the heart of me, why I'm giving them these rules, because I am here to set them free. The God who set them free is not giving them these rules to put them back into bondage, but I want them to experience ultimate freedom, the ultimate full life that I have for them. So, I want you, so, so he reminds them, he says, listen, I want you to tell them this. I want you to remind them what I did. I want you, them to know my character before you give them the law. Now, why is that important? That's important for us today because here's the truth. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, none of us measure up none of us measure up to the holiness of God, the goodness of God. And because of that sin, it separates us from God. And and because of that separation, we cannot be in the presence of God. But God so loved us that he sent his son, Jesus, who died on the cross. He was buried, rose again on the third day, defeating sin and death so that when we put our relationship in with Jesus, when we give our life to Christ, we put our faith in him, what happens is, is that Jesus sets us free from the slavery and bondage of sin that we have. And then when we give our life to Jesus and he sets us free from the slavery of sin and bondage, and then we look at the Bible as a bunch of rules, and now we're like, well, God, I don't know if I want to follow that. I don't know if I really want to listen to that. And God's saying, listen, I'm not telling you these things because I want to put you back in bondage. Know my character. I loved you so much that I saved you. Why would I put you back in bondage? I just set you free. I'm trying to continue to set you free. That literally following me and following what I say actually sets you free. It doesn't put you in bondage. And so then, if you jump over to Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verses 1. Actually, before I jump over there, let me, let me say this if you're taking notes. God made rules for our prosperity. God made rules for our prosperity. In fact, at the, the verse 5 of that uh, Exodus 19, sorry, I'll just read it. It says this, now if you obey me fully and keep my commands, obey me and keep my commands, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession Notice what he says, "If you obey my commands, you're going to be my treasure of possessions." In other words, you are going to gain. You're going to gain. Remember that for in a second. So God made rules for our prosperity. He's basically telling the Israelites this: "I am not giving you these rules." I, he's basically telling them, "I am not giving you commands to make you a slave." He's saying, "I'm giving you these commands to show you how to live freely. Since you're no longer a slave. That's what he's saying. So Deuteronomy chapter four, verses one, I want to read this to you. He says this, talking about the same conversation about why he gave the laws and why he gave the commandments and why he gave them to Moses and passed them down. He says this, now Israel talking to the same group of people, hear the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. So he's saying, listen up, pay attention. And then he says, and follow them so that you may live and it may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors is giving you. Notice what he says. He says, here's the reason why I'm giving you the laws and the commands. This is why you need to hear them and this is why you need to follow them. So that you may live. So that you may live. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. It's living the full life. It is the mission of 12 Stone Church. That we exist to inspire life, share life, and give life. For Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. John 10, 10. And in order to live fully, to have the full life that God has for us, he's saying to us, listen, if you hear and you obey my commands, then you actually, it unlocks for you this full life. So in other words, in other words, uh, God wants good things for you. God knows that sin destroys and he wants good things for you. See, what the Bible would teach us is this. The Bible would teach us that sin subtracts, but obedience adds. Remember what he says if you follow my plans for you, I'll give you the land. Like you're going to get gained. And oftentimes we think, hey man, like like I feel like I, it's a losing decision if I give my life to Christ or if I fully surrender it all over to him because I don't get to enjoy all this stuff over here. I feel like that there's things in my life that I'm losing. And what he's saying here is you're not losing, you're gaining. That it is sin that subtracts. Let me explain it to you like this think about it. Let's say, uh, uh, what, what gives more freedom in your relationships? Is it lying or being honest and truthful? Being honest and truthful, right? Like if you have a friend or someone that you hang out with and they're a chronic liar and they lie all the time and you have a difficult time trusting them, then there's a barrier there. There's certain things you don't trust that person with. So actually what it subtracts from the relationship, it causes you not to be as close to that person as you could possibly be with that person. But someone who's honest and trustworthy, you feel comfortable with that person. It actually draws you closer to that person. That actually it subtracts. Sin subtracts. And so lying subtracts from the relationship, but honesty adds to the relationship. So God was saying in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not lie. Does adultery add to your marriage or does it subtract from it? Does cheating on your husband or wife add to your marriage or subtract from it? What well, it destroys marriages. Adultery destroys marriages. Of course, it subtracts from your marriage. Cheating on your wife or cheating on your husband subtracts from your relationship. So, so God would say, listen, listen, being faithful to one another, that, that actually adds to your marriage. That adds to your marriage. So he would say in the Ten Commandments, thou shall not commit adultery. See, the rule isn't given to take away. The rule is given to add. The rule is given for your gain. The rule is for for your for you to live in relationship in perfect harmony the way God designed it so that there's no tension in that relationship. In fact, there are there, there's a picture given in Scripture of Jesus being the groom and the church being the bride. And when we give our life to Jesus, there are certain things that are different than our life than they were before we gave our life to Jesus, that things begin to change in us. The rules begin to change, in other words. The same goes with me. The rules are different for me as a married man than they were for me when I was a single man. When I was a single man, it was perfectly acceptable for me to text other girls. When I was a single man, it was perfectly acceptable for me to go out to lunch with another girl of the opposite sex by myself. When I was a single man, it was perfectly acceptable for me to go on dates with whoever I wanted to go on dates with. But it's completely unacceptable for me to be texting a bunch of girls now that I'm married. It is completely unacceptable for me to go have lunch with some girl by myself, one on one with her. It is completely unacceptable for me to go on a date with another woman, because my wife would kick my butt. (laughs) Right? We all understand that. Having rules in my, setting those rules in our marriage is not something that subtracts from our marriage. It actually adds to it. It builds deeper intimacy with each other. It gives her a sense of security and protection. And, and as the marriage relationship, it is, as I stepped into the marriage relationship, a covenant relationship with my wife, there are certain things that were okay for me before I got married that are no longer okay for me. And the same goes that when you give your life to Christ and you come into a covenant relationship with Jesus, with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, there are certain things that were okay for you over here that actually just aren't okay for you anymore over here because now you are a new creation in Christ. Things that were fine over here are not fine now. And it's not that they were fine over here. It's just you're now a new creation in Christ. See, boundaries are set for our prosperity. I can use many analogies for this. And actually speaking on marriage, I'm excited for Coy and Ashley who are getting married in the next 10 days. Congratulations. And speaking on God made stuff. Let me, let me just get highly practical with things that you guys deal with. Take sex, for example. God put boundaries on sex. He said, listen, it's to be between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Our culture redefines that in so many different ways. But that's what God said on it. And he said that because he's like, I want you to know that this is for your prosperity. See, if, if you want to make your own rules and do what you want to do, then what happens is you go around and you're with all these different people and all these different relationships. And what God knows is, is that if you become too intimate in that relationship and you cross boundaries that are only designed for a married couple in a married relationship, then when things break apart in that relationship, there's far more devastation in that relationship than if that had never been involved because God created it for you to be one flesh with that person when you cross those boundaries of sex. It's for your protection, for your prosperity. God knows that you can get someone pregnant, you can get an STD, that you can carry sexual baggage into your marriage one day, and it can affect your marital relationship years down the road because of decisions you made when you fifteen, sixteen, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. There are boundaries set for your benefit, for your protection, for your prosperity. The research shows that people who actually keep themselves pure until marriage actually have better sex lives than those that don't. And I think that's because they honored God and they are freed up and they don't have to worry about comparison and other sexual baggage that are coming into the relationship. God honors it. And they get to have a lifetime together freed up. They don't have to put themselves back in bondage because of sin. And that's what happens as Christians. God has set us free and then we go right back like the Bible says, like a dog going to its vomit, right back into our sin and we put ourselves right back in to bondage. And so that's why we talk about my life, my rules. Because is it really our rules? I think one of the most freeing things as a believer is to understand that God lays things out in the Bible. And these are not, this is not meant to be a, a book of rules. This is meant to be a book of life. That this book gives us life. And so I read this, I soak this up, I get into it so that I know how to have the full life. So when someone gives their life to Christ and then they're like, and then they never open it and they never get in it and they never spend time in God's word. It's like, hey man, God has God given you a book for life here. He's told you all about how to live fully, but then we just say, hey man, like I'm I'm not really that concerned with it. And it doesn't make any sense. In fact, I would challenge you to get into the word, to open up the Bible. Start in the book of John if you don't know where to start. Go and ask a leader. Come and ask me. We'll help you get started. Bless you. So, that, what I just said to you, that's just a devotional thought. I said that to you because I want to set the framework for where we're going as a church with this series. I want you to understand that God has the best intentions for you. When God gives the law to the Israelites, He has the best intentions for them. He loves them, He cares for them, He just set them free. He's not giving them stuff to put them back in bondage. Now, this weekend, Kevin Myers, our senior pastor, who is unbelievable. He's an amazing, amazing man of God, and he's a leader of our, he's, you know, leader of our church. Jesus is a leader of our church, and he's under the authority of, of Christ in that. And, um, and, and let me say this, too. If you don't attend on the weekends, man, you're missing out. You're missing out because God speaks, and this is your church, not just your youth group. And you need to be a part of that. And I say dive into that. We're joining in with their My Life, My Rules series. And and this is the only week we're doing this. But PK talked about something on Sunday. Pastor Kevin talked about something on Sunday that I just thought was so good that I wanted to show you guys the clip of it. So intentionally, I whittled my message down to about 10 minutes so that I could show you like this 19-minute clip from Sunday. Now, if you were here Sunday and you heard the message Sunday, then... You can think about it and take some more notes on it and get an extra layer of it. Because I can listen to this like 10 times and get new stuff every time. But if you're here and you didn't hear it, I want you to listen in. This is for everyone. And I want to make a point coming out of it. And then we'll go into the last worship set and we'll close out the service. Check this video out.
1: Everyone
0: believes
1: in rules. In fact, let me ask you a question: How many of you have ever heard, ever even heard in your life, of a motorcycle club called the Hell's Angels? The Hell's Angels Motorcycle Club. Any of you? Just raise your hands. Cross all the campuses. Put your hands up. Okay, you've heard of them. Yeah, I've loved motorcycling since I was five years old. I thought motorcycles the coolest thing. And in fact, I still put thousands of miles on my Harley each year. So when I was a kid growing up during the 70s, I I knew about the Hell's Angels. And and this was like the mystique kind of cool group. I I know they weren't supposed to be, but they were like from a distance. You privately, oh, they're cool. Because their distinctive mark is that they're outlaws. Above the rules, beyond the rules. They're free from the rules. They're what from the rules, everybody? Free. Yeah, they're free. (laughs) The one percenters. And about. 10, 12 years ago, I read a book by Sonny Barger. He, he was the president of the Oakland Hells Angels Motorcycle Club and, and, and quite known as, as a result. And I read this book, and I was struck. I mean struck by what I read in the book. It, it set me back. In fact, I can, I can tell you what it is by just playing about 20 seconds of an interview that he did in 1994 um, Many years later, of course. But but maybe if I play this, it'll seem striking to you as well. Check it out.
0: um, But the Hells Angels are international. There's just no international organization, so to speak. Each club is
1: autonomous. We have basic rules uh, that everybody has to live by. And then each charter in its own has its own rules. Each country has its own. I don't know. Did that come through? Did you get that? Because it's ironic. You, you, did you hear him? <laughs> this is the group that got freed up from the rules. This was the free group, freed up from the man. And then they turned around and set rules. And they have international rules that you have to follow. And, and then they have country rules that you have to follow. And then we make local chapter rules that you have to follow. Did, did you hear? In his own words, that you have to follow. In other words, we're going to walk away from rules. We are freed up. We are outlaws. And then we're going to make rules. You know why? Because they're not anti-rules either. They believe in rules. They just prefer to be the ruler. I mean, it's hilarious hypocrisy. And it's in us all. Nobody's really anti-rules. We just prefer to be the ruler. And that is the point of God's very first rule. No other gods before me. I mean, not even yourself. You don't set the rules. And that lets us jump into number two. Second rule of rules that you need to know. Here it is. Rules have to match the ruler. Jot it down. Rules have to what everybody? Match. Yeah, jot down your notes. Rules have to match the ruler. Now, I'm going to take it to the whiteboard here uh, for a bit and have a little conversation with you because maybe you did this in elementary school. I did. Okay, I, I did this in elementary school we would have to match things. So they would make a list on one side, list on the other, and then you'd have to match them. It was designed to to develop your conceptual thinking skills. And if you had the ability to take two thoughts and know that these two go together, what's a match, what's a mismatch. And so I'm going to give you an example. We're going to do this together. I know it's elementary. Stay with me. This is on purpose. So on one side, they'd write something as elementary as the bird, the fish, the dog. And then on the other side, that was one, two, three, you had to match these with either A, B, or C. Which one goes with swims, barks, or flies? Now we're going to do this together as a church? I know. Appease me. It's elementary. But hey, might be the first test you pass 100% in, in, in recent days. Here we go. So the bird swims, barks, or flies. So we're all on the count of three going to say the right answer together. Which one is it? The bird flies. Very good, everybody. Okay, so there. give give yourself a hand. Give your neighbor a high five. Okay, done well. Okay, the fish. Now the fish swims or barks. All right, count of three, everybody. The swim. Uh, the fish what? swims, very good. Okay, well done. You get And now this, if you didn't get the first two, <clears throat> you're going to get this one right, if you're just paying any attention at all. The dog what? Everybody say it, count of on three, one, two, three, the dog what? Barks, sure. Now you're thinking, are you kidding me? I showed up on a weekend. You've been on vacation, study break, and doing some leadership stuff. And this is what you came up with? <laughs> now, stay with me. Because our rule dilemma is rooted in an elementary mismatch. And and that's why there's confusion. Stay with me. Let let, let me illustrate it. I'm going to give you another one, okay? Golf game, bowling game, football game, and they need to be matched too. Football rules, golf rules, bowling rules. Okay, you already get it. You already get it. Golf game, golf rules. But watch what happens if you do a mismatch. What if you say golf game, bowling rules? then when you get out on the golf course, you have a problem. <laughs> See, you, bowling rules are the one with the highest score wins. Golf rules are the one with the what score? Yeah, the lowest score wins. So you get out on the golf course, and if you're playing by bowling rules, you're trying to break 200. In fact, in fact, it looked like when I tried out for the high school team, back when I was in high school, when I tried out for the golf team, which I did not make, it looked like I came thinking bowling was the rules. <laughs> In fact, if that was the rule, I'd be an amazing golfer today. But the reality is, you go get yourself 100, 200 strokes, and you're going to think you won. You beat everybody. When, in fact, you're not even in the game, and you lose. And that confusion is just an elementary mismatch. Game to wrong rules. It's, it's as simple as, as football. Like if, if, if we said a football game to golf rules, can you imagine if you were the coach, you walked into a football team, just played. it out, just a thought. You show up to the team and say, okay, here's what we need to do on the opening drive. We need to travel about 200 to 250 yards on your opening drive. And the football players will be looking at you like, are you from outer space? The Football field's only 100 yards long. This is so elementary that this is what is breaking down in most people's life and faith. Let's just apply it at the next level. See, if we had on one side, my life, God life, and and then we had to match them with God rules or my rules, you end up with four options. You could have the option of my life, God rules. That's one option. Let's see, my life, which means I'm the ruler, God rules, and that's one of the match options. But does that match? My life, I'm the ruler. God, no, because the rule is the rules have to follow the ruler. So this doesn't work because if you're the ruler, which is the case, then, then God's rules don't match you being the ruler. And there are some people that live that way. They've made an elementary mismatch. There are people who are still the ruler in the center of their lives, who even become religious, who even go to church, and they put a wrapping of some of God's rules, whichever ones they choose, around them, and they think by being religious, while they remain the ruler of their life, that'll get them to heaven. It makes them good. It's a mismatch. Another option is, is my life... To my rules. My life, my rule oh, That works. That's a match. That's Because the rules match the ruler. So yes, that's a match. Yeah, you say, you know what, this is my life, I'm the ruler anyway, and, and I'm anti-Jesus. I, I, I'm not going to follow God. It's my rules. And you know, At least it matches. Now, now, God would say to you, when you live my life, my rules, what you're really saying at the core of your being is Satan's life, Satan's rules. And I know you don't believe that, because those of you listening are saying, hey, I don't even believe in God. I, okay, I understand. But God would say, You've chosen Satan's rule, and you're under Satan's rules. And you have the freedom from God to dismiss him on earth and for all of eternity. There's a third option. Third option could be God life, right? God life, God rules. Okay, God, life, God's the ruler of my life, and, and God's rules, I follow Jesus, and that works. That's a match. The, the rules match the ruler. And, and so that makes complete sense. That's really, in essence, what a Christian is. You finally say, you know what, God, I'm I'm going to b- surrender to you. you. I'll have no other gods before me. You're going to be my God. And so so you get that rule right, and, and so God is your ruler, and, and that's made possible through Jesus. And so if God's your ruler, You you live by God's rules. And that's what informs what you believe and what you pursue and how you behave and what you value and, and, and the rules and the standards that you set for life. And you, nobody follows those perfectly. I don't follow those perfectly, neither do you. And, and when I fumble the ball, so to speak, in life, if I sin before the Lord, I, I'm like, oh, God, I don't, I, that's not how I want to live. And, and, and I don't excuse it. I confess it before the Lord. I, I get forgiveness because Jesus, through his work on the cross, covers my sin. I don't earn this on my own. And I follow God's rules. Now, And there's a fourth option here. Uh, God, life, my rules. God, life, my rules. Well, see, that's a mismatch. See, because the rules have to follow the ruler. So, so this doesn't work. But some choose that. And that elementary mismatch undoes your life. See, you can't actually say, oh, God's my ruler. I'm a Christian, I'm, but I, I make up my own rules. I, that my rules are anti-Jesus, but, but, but he's my ruler because those are in conflict. See, if your, if your convictions, your standards, your values, your beliefs are informed by social media, popular opinion, cultural magazines, your friends, your particular bent or feelings in that season, rather than rooted in the word and the wisdom of God, you have a mismatch. He's not your ruler if it's not his rules. I think that that elementary break is costing us in this country in terms of our faith. And I want you to turn with me over to Deuteronomy. If you have your Bibles you're still there, let's go over to the book of Deuteronomy. And let me just lay out where Moses was now, 40 years later, communicating to the nation of Israel, who's about to walk into the promised land, a reminder of the the value of the rules and how they're to work in your life. So he's hearkening back to what we just read in Exodus. And so we're on page 179, Deuteronomy chapter 4, page 179. You can just flip over there. We're going to do this quickly, but this is deeply meaningful. So let me just unpack some thoughts here. Chapter four, verse one. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them. Everybody, say it with me. Do what? Follow them. That, the point he's making off the top. See, if, if God's your ruler, then you follow God's rules. That's a match. That makes sense. It can't be God rules, but 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 it's your or God's ruler, but it's your rules. He says, no, follow the rules, and, and and that way you may really have life. Enjoy the land that he's taking into you. Look at verse 2. Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God. Don't add to it. Literally, he's telling us, don't add man-made rules to God-made rules and call them equal. Don't you go around making up rules that you would prefer and you think make sense and then add them and elevate them to God's rules and call them equal. They're not equal. They're man-made. These have options. God's rules, no options. In fact, he says, not only don't add, don't subtract. That means don't don't rewrite the rule. Don't mismatch. Don't add, don't subtract. Read on. Verse 6. Then he says, observe them carefully. For this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. See, this is, this is going to change the nation. This is going to change your family. It's going to change your marriage. It's going to impact your kids. It's going to, it's going to change your business. It's going, to, it's going to change everything. It's going to show. Because this right here, this rule thing from God, this is God's gift to you. It's wisdom and understanding that absolutely changes your life. We're talking about more of that in, in the series, but I want you to see it. And then in verse 9 and 10, he tells you, only be careful, verse 9, and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade. Everybody say that with me. Let them what? Fade. I want you to get that. Do not let them fade from your heart for as long as you live. Teach them to your children and in, to their children after them. So you, teach them to your children, your grandchildren. Make sure the generations get it. In fact, it goes on in the next verse to say that they revere me. Now I want you to see something. This is, this is almost how it descends and how we end up with a mismatch. Let me see if this makes any sense. Yeah, I've been wrestling with this. I'm going to just highlight it here. We'll unpack it more in the series, but I want to get it on the table right now. I think what happens with the first generation is that the first generation, like the ones who received the law, the first generation, they tend to revere the rule. See, they, 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 they were there when it came down. They were at the mountain. They saw the power of God. They experienced it. They Oh, we understand the significance of this rule. We revere it. We would never violate this. This is incredibly significant. And then I think what can happen is that the second generation relax the rule. I think that the generation that wasn't there can relax the rule because they're like, well, I wasn't there anyway. The rule's a little imposing. I, I don't know. I, I, I'll respect it, but I won't really follow it. And so what happens in this generation is they talk about the rule because they know what the rule is. But they don't actually live the rule. And something happens to their children, which we could call the third generation. And what happens to their children is they tend to rewrite the rule. And if you want to understand what happens in a nation and generation after generation, I think this is what really happens. That you end up with a generation that rewrites the rule because the generation before them relaxed the rule. And since the generation before them didn't really define the significance and since they're a distance away from the experience, they don't really understand that this is not merely blessing that comes automatic. The favor of God comes with following God. And they don't know what they're about to lose. Because they're running off the blessing of those that once revered. But it's fading. Now, we'll pick that up later in the series. But I'm telling you, what this actually means then is by the time you get here, you've made a mismatch of rules to ruler And you've created a jackalope faith. I know it sounds silly, but you've created a what faith church? A jackalope faith. This past summer, we went out to, uh, out west. 5,200 miles, drove together. Had an awesome trip. You, know, so you follow us on uh, on Facebook. It was fun, and we enjoyed it. It was a, a trip we're really grateful to, to have been able to go on. And Jaden turned uh, 12 years old, my my son, our last child, and uh, we're planning to keep it that way. So uh, he, he, and I just want to tell you a little something about it. He enjoys cryptids, and, and if you're not familiar with those, I looked it up to give you the official Wikipedia Definition. Here it is. Legendary creatures that are rumored or suspected to exist. That's what cryptids are. They they are uh, legendary creatures that are rumored or suspected to exist. Uh, Think uh, Bigfoot. Uh, Think Nessie. (laughs) Think uh, Chupacabra. Think Jackalope. So, my son is fascinated by the cryptids. And we have multiple conversations about this and have for some time. And in recent months, he's been uh, all uh, on this kick of jackalopes. And his dad, you know jackalopes are real. And, and he does it with such a sarcastic smile. I love his humor. It's so, it's so developed. But, but, but we get into this, and, and, and so I harass him. And so you can imagine that one of the highlights of our trip is when we hit wall drug in South Dakota. And when we got in Waldrug we got through the back of the uh, of Waldrug and he came upon this picture that is now displayed before you. In fact, he let us take them. Is that beautiful? Isn't that absolutely the coolest thing you've ever seen? That, that's a jackalope. That, that's a supersized jackalope. He jumped. I said, Dad, take a picture. See, I told you it was real. Now we're joking about We're laughing. We're having fun. And then we get back in the store. I kid you not. Get back in the store. We're walking all around. And he comes and finds me because we're all different places. Looking. He yells, Dad, Dad, you got to see this. So I kind of go, what, what are we? <laughs> Jackalopes stuffed on the wall. Oh, oh yes, jackalopes. He looks up. I told you they're real. They're not just supersized in the back. Real right up on the wall. We're having fun, and he sucks me into buying it. You know what I mean? Get suckered. You know what I'm talking about, parents. It's $114. $114 for a jackalope. And he gave me permission to bring it to you so you can experience this yourself. This is the real deal. This is a jackalope. And this hangs in his room. And if you came to his room, he would show it to you and tell you, see, this is evidence, jackalopes are real. <laughs> now, now, we're going to do this all tongue-in-cheek. We're going to have a lot of fun. And, and I'm glad he graciously let you. Aren't you glad he let you see it? Come on, I say, yeah, I hear you're glad he let you see Sure, this is an awesome moment for you. And if you examine this, you're like, oh, my goodness, that, that, that looks real. Now, we all kind of know that a jackalope is not real. They marry the, the 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 horns. The, the 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 antlers, of a deer. With the head. Of a jackrabbit. This thing isn't real, it never has been. It's why you will never find one that's alive. You only find them dead, after the taxidermer, the, the, the taxidermists put it together. Now. When I say. What's at risk is a jackalope faith. I'm talking about marrying this idea of God's rule with my rules, and it doesn't marry. And you end up with this jackalope kind of faith, and that's my concern for us, for Christians. It's it's underneath this whole conversation. We put worldly rules on God's word, and then we call it God's. And it's something that's mythical that doesn't exist.
0: That's good. Yeah. So listen, here's why I showed that to you. Here's why we're having this conversation tonight is opening up this series. The reason we're having this conversation, the reason I showed that to you tonight is because of this. Next week, you guys go back to school. (laughs) Why did you remind us? And, uh, and listen, listen, this is what I know. What I know is, is that when we go back to school, there's a world of temptation, there's a world of opportunity, and especially for you freshmen, there's all kinds of new things coming in to the picture for you. And listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you, over the next two months, I want you to discover what true faith is. Like I hope that you haven't bought into a jackalope kind of faith where it kind of looks real, but you're not really sure that it's real, but truthfully, it's not real and it's just kind of the parts of all these different thoughts, your thoughts and God's thoughts. The truth is, is that this is a book of life. It's perfect, it's inspired by God and this is for you to live life to the full. Additionally, I wanna challenge you As you start school back next week, I want to challenge you to have a heart for the people around you. See, the truth is is that when you begin to look at the people of God, one of the things that he begins to look at and talk about is how... People in the land will revere you. People around you will look to you. And the reason they will look to you is because you're different, because you have this full life. And other people are asking the question, why do you have the full life? What it makes the Israelites so different from all the other people? It's because God has given them the game plan for life. This is how you live to the full. And, man, I long for the day when students from age 12, when they walk into their high schools, people would look at them and be like, those kids are different. There's something about them that is different. They have a full life. There's something about them that sets them them apart. And I want to be a part of that. Man, I'm praying that God does unbelievable stuff in this high school ministry over the next several months. And most importantly, and at the core of that, I'm praying that he does something significant in the hearts of each and every one of us. Because until it happens in here, it's never going to happen in this room. I'm praying that by the time we get to September, October, we have to figure out what we're gonna do about putting people in this room. And the truth is, this is the week before school starts, and I know a lot of people are on vacation, and next week there'll be more chairs in there, and there'll be more people in here next week, but I'm gonna put it on you to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to go after your schools. God has strategically and purposely placed you where he's placed you so that you can have an impact in people's life. Your purpose is to be on mission for what God has for you, that you would reach in and reach out and that people's lives will be changed not because you're awesome but because God is awesome and because he lives in you.